This is James Moore, pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri, praying this audio message will be a blessing to you. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Hey, we are going to jump into week number two of our series that we kicked off last week, asking this big question, who is God? And no way that we can exhaust who is God in one week, two weeks, two months, two years, probably not even a lifetime. I mean, it's God. Who is God? But we're asking the hard questions. And so I've got some people that are going to come by, and they're going to hand out some notes to you. I always feel like when you're in church, if you want to remember what was said, take some notes. In my own personal walk as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I love being able to look back at my notes. I've got notes from uh, back in the 90s when I was going to youth conferences in which I felt like God was speaking to me. And so it's fun to go back and look at them. So if you want to set, hey, you can raise your hands. If you're like, I don't do paper and pens. That's a thing from a bygone era. I'm just going to use my phone. That's cool too. Uh, the cheat code for getting the notes is to go to live.newlifekc.com because we're live streaming. Welcome people around the world. Um, and on that site, you can click notes and you can just download a digital copy of all the notes. So as we get started, we're asking this big question, who is God? And the big question is like, okay, who is he? What is he like? And last week, I kind of challenged us with this. Does your concept of God, most of you would probably say, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. But that concept of God that you believe in, and how you would paint the picture of who he is and what he's like, is it possible that that has been polluted by our environment, by our culture, by things that we've kind of picked up along the way that we've just begun to believe about the man upstairs? And is it possible that the God that is real, the reality of God and how he's introduced himself, is that different than our concept of God? And if it is, are we willing to let go of some things that we've embraced about God to embrace who he really is? And so if you missed last week, the big point of the message was this. I'll just give it to you in one sentence. The big point was God is the creator and he wants a relationship with his creation. That was the big point last week. And if you, if you believe that, it changes everything because what you believe about God shapes what you believe, honestly, about everything. Believing what's on the screen right now, believing that statement means that there's more to this life than just my own happiness. Believing what's on that screen means that my life actually has purpose. It has meaning beyond just what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. See, that says that there is a creator, there's a supernatural being, and not only is there a supernatural being, he's not distant, he's not far away, but rather he's personal, he's close. He wants us to know him and to be known by him, and that says that our true fulfillment in life is going to come through that relationship with him, not just our own ambition. So if you missed last week, I won't lie, you missed a lot, but the good news is we recorded it, so you can get online and check it out. Now, week number two, here we go. Who is God? Here's the big idea that I want you to consider as we ask this question, who is God? God is our redeemer, and he wants to rescue us from sin. God is our redeemer, and he wants to rescue us from sin. That's a pretty big statement. Uh, what does that mean, Pastor Alex? It seems kind of loaded. There's some words we don't use all the time there. 
The only thing I've redeemed was a coupon, and that was before, you know, COVID, and I don't know what redeeming is. What are we talking about? Redemption. So, so let's talk about this for a second. We're going to assume, um, maybe you don't necessarily believe in God, but for this message, we're going we're to assume that God is real. We're going to assume that he is, and here's who he is. He is our redeemer, okay? We're going to spend a little time having to break down that idea of what does it mean to be redeemed and redemption, but further, what we're saying here is that he wants something, that his desire, that God's desire is to rescue us. And rescue would mean that there's some type of danger. There's something that's happening that we need rescuing from, right? So, so we're saying that God is a redeemer. He has this desire to save us, to rescue us, to help us, to, to help us out of this problem. And the problem is, is this thing called sin. And so we're going to have to talk a little bit about what sin is. So we're going to start by talking about this idea of redemption, but before we do so, I need to know what kind of people I got in the room. I got to know who my people are. And so by a show of hands, how many of you attended school during the 1990s? It can be elementary school, it can be middle school, it can be high school, it can be college. If you attended school in the 90s, let me see your hands. Okay, all right, all right. Some of you are like, no, I got out of there before that. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born until then. Very good. So a couple weeks ago, I'm hanging out with these high schoolers, and I was thinking like, man, they're all born in like the early 2000s. Like, they don't know nothing about the 90s. I was like, this is so wild. Like, they don't even know what 9-11 is. They were born, I, I asked them, when were you born? They're like, 2004. I'm like, 2004? And they're 18. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But, it, but the math does add up, you know what I mean? I'm like, that's just so wild. So, so I had like this freshman, sophomore kid, and I was like, hey, I, I got a question for you. I said, do you know what dial-up is? And their eyes kind of darted back and forth. And they're like, it's got something to do with the internet, doesn't it? And I was like, wow, yes, that, it does. I said, let's go a level deeper. I said, do you know what AOL is? They said, I have no idea what that is. That's not even a word. What is that? AOL. So, so here's the thing. So uh, the 90s were an exciting time of crop tops, Spice Girls, slap bracelets, epic cartoons, Tamagotchi, the Furby, Beanie Babies, and so many great catchphrases. Do you remember whatever? Remember when we used to say that? whatever. Uh, that was great. I like that one. Talk to the hand. Just talk to the hand. Or man, you're all that and a bag of chips. The 90s were great. In the 1994 movie Forrest Gump, Forrest says, life is like a box of chocolates. How's it finish? You never know what you're going to get. That's so good. So with that in mind, you never know what you're going to get. On a Sunday in church, we're going to do a 1990s trivia question. Ten of them. Hang on. We're doing this. Here we go. In what 1999 movie is the line, I see dead people, famously uttered? The Sixth Sense. Very good. Who was elected president in 1992 and re-elected in 96? Bill Clinton. That's right. Not Hillary. Uh, number three. Uh, where were the 1992 Olympics held? 96 was Atlanta, Barcelona. Let's go for 92 trivia. Okay, uh, what was the top-selling video game console of the 1990s? PlayStation. Atari was definitely a decade earlier. <laughs> All right, in the 1990s, which wide-leg jeans company became a fashion staple for teenagers? Jinko. Remember Jinko jeans? They were awesome. You could get lost in them. They were so big. Uh, what does the abbreviation AOL stand for? 
Yeah, look at you 90s people. All right, what two extremely famous boy bands were at their peak in the 90s? And how many of you have seen them in concert? <laughs> My wife's like, yes. All right, in the 1995 film Toy Story, who voiced the characters Buzz Lightyear and Woody? Tim Allen and... Tom Hanks. All right, and for my, my, my guy friends in the room, in the 1999 movie Fight Club, what was the first rule of Fight Club? You don't talk about Fight Club. Good job, guys. I'm impressed with your 90s trivia. That was so good. All right, so we're just having fun. I'm bringing up the 90s because something big happened in 1992 in Barcelona. It was the first year that the United States was allowed to bring professional NBA players and let them serve on the men's Olympic basketball team. And so that year, for the first time, the USA put together what has been called the dream team. Because, honestly, the entire team was made up of basketball legends. And there's a picture of them. On the team was Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Clyde Drexler, uh, Scottie Pippen, Chris Mullen, Christian Leitner. It was an incredible lineup of teams. And as people look back on the Dream Team, they call it the greatest team that's ever been assembled. Because that year they went undefeated and they beat their opponents by an average of 44 points per game. <laughs> they were completely dominant. It wasn't even close. And the legacy of that dominance, the first time that happened, they wanted to continue that for every year to follow. And in 96, it was another gold medal. And in 2000, it was another gold medal. And then in 2004, it all fell apart. Somehow or another, the NBA players that we have here in America were unable to win a gold medal. It was devastating. It was irritating. It was an embarrassment. And so Team USA in 2004 brought home a bronze medal, and everybody was sickened by it. And so as the 2008 Olympics rolled around, Team USA began to say, we've got to redeem the gold. And that was the word that they used. In fact, they called the 2018 that they put together the Redeem Team. If you guys saw The Last Dance, which was an awesome little documentary on the Chicago Bulls, those same directors did one on this team, which was called the Redeem Team. And they said it was a complete embarrassment what happened in 2004, and they had to come back, and they had one mission, one goal. They had to win back the gold medal that had been lost four years earlier. And that 2018 accomplished the goal. The Redeem Team came back, and they were undefeated and they won by an average of over 20 points per game in order to get the gold medal back. And so this kind of brings us back to what we're talking about today, this idea of redemption, that God is a redeemer. The idea of redemption is that we are winning back that which was lost. And so we'll break it down this way, and you can fill this out on your notes. A redeemer is someone who recovers ownership of something in exchange for a payment. Okay, a redeemer is someone who recovers ownership of something in exchange for a payment. So in my illustration of the 2008 Redeem team, they recovered ownership of the gold medal in exchange for the payment of their blood, their sweat, their tears, their time, their talent. That was redemption. Now, spiritually, God is our redeemer. He has come to recover something 
that has been lost, that there is ownership. He's come to recover ownership of something, but, but what is he come to redeem ownership of? What was it that was lost that he's saying, no, I need to reclaim ownership of that? Well, if what I said last week is correct, that God is our creator and he wants a relationship with his creation, if, if that's correct, then we belong to God. It makes us his. He created us whether we like it or not. And if God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, then God is the rightful owner of it all. The issue, however, is that that ownership has been lost. See, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the idea was for humanity, God's creation, to live forever in God's kingdom. That was the idea. He created the Garden of Eden, gave them everything that they need. Here's your space. This is, this is an extension of my kingdom, and I want you to live here forever in relationship with me. He was theirs. There was ownership. It was good. But Adam and Eve, they chose to reject God's plan. Instead of to live forever in God's kingdom, they instead said, you know what? I don't know if I can trust you, God. I don't know if I can trust you to be my king and to be in charge. I don't know if I like you being my owner. And they bought into Satan's deception that they could be the king in their own life. I don't want to trust you, God. I want to be the king in my own life. I can trust me. And so they made a decision to remove God from sitting on the throne in their life to them sitting on the throne of their life and then them trying to build their own kingdom. Now, as a result, they got removed from the garden. They got removed from God's kingdom. They, if you don't want me to be the king, God says, then, then you have your own kingdom. And so when we think about the word kingdom, king, dumb, there's a king and a kingdom. Who's your king? That's the first question. If God's the king, you can be a part of his domain. That's where the kingdom, domain comes from. So when we think about a kingdom, there's a king, there's his domain. There's a power that comes there too, right? If you're a part of God's kingdom, like whatever the king says, that's how it is. That's the rule of the land. That's, there's a power there. There's a protection. There's a safety. But then there's also a culture of the king. What kind of king do we have? How does he rule? How does he treat his people who are there, a part of his kingdom? So we have these four things. And those things were rejected by Adam and Eve. They were rejected by humanity. They said, we don't want your kingdom. We don't want you as a king. We don't want your domain. We don't want your power. We don't want your culture. What you love and what you hate, you can keep that to yourself. We're going to go build our own kingdom in which I'll be the king and I'll kind of create my own little land here. And I'm going to try to build this to fit my needs. And this culture of this kingdom is going to be all about me. Whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good, that's what we're going to do. And um, my power is limited, of course, compared to God's because I only have kind of my free will and I can only do so much, but I can manipulate others and I can try to use others to help build my kingdom. And so Adam and Eve said, I don't want your game plan, God. I want my own. And when Adam and Eve rejected God as king, God lost ownership of their heart. And humanity lost relationship with the king, his domain, his power, and his culture. But here's the good news, right? For you and I, as a product of Adam and Eve, who are cut from the same cloth as them, as people who are trying to build our own kingdoms, here's the good news for us as selfish people, is that even though we turned our back on Creator God, God never turned his back on us. Even though we chose to walk away from him, God never walked away from us. 
God is a redeemer. He's our redeemer, and he wants to rescue us from sin. He's come to recover ownership of you and me. And this may sound strong, but God has come to rightfully take back the throne of our heart. It's where he belongs. He belongs as our king. But here's the thing about God is that God doesn't come back into our lives through force. He doesn't take the throne of our hearts back by force. He doesn't force us into it. He doesn't overpower us. He doesn't, he doesn't function that way. What God does is he offers to be our king if we are willing to surrender the throne. If we're not willing to surrender the throne, he ain't forcing himself back in here. He is available. He's paid a price. There's redemption available to us, but we must surrender the throne and invite him to take his proper place. The reason, though, that we need a redeemer, why do we need a redeemer? Like, this is so weird. Like, like, can't I just have him get on the throne? Can't I just ask him to do that? Well, well you need a redeemer, though, because here's the truth. Now, let's see if you can get your head around this. You can't surrender the throne of your heart in your own power. You want to get off of the throne, but you can't do it. I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to be the king anymore. But you know what you wake up tomorrow morning doing? Sitting on the throne again. And you're even desire to get off the throne. Isn't it self-motivated for your own good? How can we get off the throne? I'm, it's not just this free will choice I can get off the throne. No, no, I can't get off the throne. I am, I am trapped. I am in bondage. I am in slavery to doing things my way. I need someone to set me free from this captivity that I find myself in. I need someone to redeem me and to pay a price that I couldn't pay so that I can become something new because I can't get off the throne of my own power. That's why we need a redeemer. See, we are all consumed with doing life our own way. We are all addicted to calling the shots. We're all addicted to having the final say in our own life. And we don't just give that up. We are slaves to our own selfish desires. And every now and then in our selfishness, we realize this isn't really turning out so good for me. We realize, oh my goodness, there's consequences to my really poor choices. And we hate those consequences. And then you know what we do when we don't like the consequences of calling the shots ourselves? We say, God, would you please take these consequences away? Then I can get back to calling the shots again in my life. And God says, no. I'm not going to come and eliminate the consequences of your poor decisions so that you can continue to make poor decisions. God, didn't, God says, I'm not coming here so you can escape all of the badness that you've created in your own life. I'm not here for you to have an escape route and to miss out on the bad things that are coming because you're a selfish pig. No, God says, I'm here not for an escape. I'm here to redeem you and to give you a whole new identity. But you, then you know what we say? Well, I don't know if I want that. Maybe I'll just deal with these consequences. Because I want to have the final say in my life. I want to have the final call. I want to be able to judge everything that comes in and make the final say on it. But every now and then, life gets so rough that we feel this pit in our stomach and we know we need help. And so we pray, God, just deliver us. Help us escape this. But he's not interested in just delivering you. He's interested 
in redeeming you. In the Bible, there's this really famous story of redemption. You probably heard it. Old Testament, remember there's this group, the Israelites, or God's chosen people. They didn't make great choices, um, but they ended up in slavery inside of Egypt. Of course, Egypt's kind of king was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was in charge. Pharaoh was oppressing them. We have this story of oppression and this empire that was abusing these people. And so the people of Israel, who God had made a promise to them, the people of Israel began to cry out to God. They began to ask God to get them out of this horrible situation. Kind of like people do when they make bad choices. God, help me get out of these bad choices. It was like, I I don't want to be here. I'm in slavery. I'm stuck here. I want out. And so they began to cry out to God. And God had a plan not for them to escape Egypt, not just to be free from the oppressor. God's plan was more than that. It was a rescue plan of redemption that was going to give them a new identity. And a new identity is something that they needed because their current identity was that of a slave being oppressed in a land that wasn't their own. God wanted to redeem them and give them a new identity. And so he calls a man named Moses from a burning bush to help with his redemption plan to give them a new identity. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, the Lord says these words. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a home, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites, it's reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And as you know, Moses showed up on the scene, knocked on Pharaoh's door. Pharaoh had him come in. Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And Moses said, okay, but watch out. God's going to do some stuff. Ten plagues later, Pharaoh came back to Moses and said, hey, Moses, I think it's a good idea to let the people go. And so Moses is like, great, we'll take the people. And so all the Israelites, they left Egypt. This is, this is awesome. What the Egyptians had with the Israelites, what the Israelites actually wanted, the Israelites wanted an escape. And as they're following Moses, you know what they're thinking? We got it. We got it. We are out. We're no longer slaves. But that wasn't the end of the story for God, was it? He didn't want to just get them out. He wanted to give them a new identity. He wanted to redeem them. He didn't want them just to be ex-slaves. He wanted to give them a new hope and a new life. And so here was God's great plan. This is such a good idea. He said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go through the wilderness on our way to the land flowing with milk and honey. There's a shorter way we could get to where we're going. We're not going to take that route. We're going to go through the wilderness, and we're going to spend some time together. It's just going to be my people and me. It's going to be like a honeymoon. It's going to be so good. I I had a honeymoon. How many of you guys had a honeymoon? Anybody have a honeymoon? Honeymoons are great, right? Um, As a man, normally, you know, looking forward to the honeymoon, there's one thing I was thinking about. I'd been a good Christian boy and saved myself, and so we were excited. Uh, 
for the whole Bible verse, the two becoming one. It's like, yes. Um, but, but you know, the thing about the honeymoon is not just about the physical act of consummating the marriage. See, the honeymoon's important because you know what you do on a honeymoon? You pull away from everybody you know, and it's just the two of you. And the whole focus of the time is just on each other. And in the intimacy, there's an intimacy that comes when it's just you two. And, and for me, I had just been a single guy. I got married when I was 25. And all of a sudden, overnight, like now I got this thing on my hand. Like I made a lifelong commitment. And my default is being a single dude and only thinking about me and staying up as late as I want and watching what I want on TV and doing the dishes the way that I think the dishes ought to be done and folding my clothes and leaving them wherever. Like, it was all about me. But all of a sudden now, it's not about me. I'm married, and the two are going to become one, and not just in a physical sense, but in every sense, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We're going to move that way, and my own identity's changed. I'm not just Alex Moore, the most eligible bachelor ever. No, I'm now... Alex Moore, the married husband. I'm now Alex Moore, the leader of a home. I'm now Alex Moore, the spiritually. My identity changed, and I needed a honeymoon. I needed intimacy. I needed time there, not just going back to how life was, because I would still be thinking like a single guy. I needed something to change me. And so we spent time on a honeymoon together, just the two of us, and it was intimate, and it was personal, and we were getting a new identity together. That's what God wanted with the Israelites when he took them out of Egypt. It's just going to be the two of us, and it's going to be intimate, and it's going to be personal, and I want you to see yourself differently than you've seen yourself before. You always saw yourself as oppressed. You always saw yourself as worthless. You always saw yourself beat down. I'm your God. You are not worthless. You have value. You are important. Stop being depressed. Stop looking at your life that way. I have a plan for you, and it's a good plan. I'll tell you about it. The land's got milk and honey, and I don't even know what that means, but it's awesome. You're going to like it. You don't even know what milk and honey is. You're from Egypt. This is going to be good. But I want you to know it's about me. It's not about the things I'm giving you. In me is your new identity. Your identity right now is wrapped up in what you were involved in previously. It's not anymore that you have a new identity, and we've got to spend some time together in order for you to get it. This is my plan of redemption. This is God's plan of redemption for his people. You've got to spend time with me. I've got to help redeem you. You have been fallen and you are worth more. You've been living an identity that's not my identity of you. And so he's drawing them up. But what did the Israelites do when they got into the wilderness? They said, that's cute, God. Thanks for trying to force your silence and solitude on us, which was a good point from last week's message. I hope that you did it last week. Some of you I know fell a little short. Silence and solitude, just a reminder, definition, put it on the screen for me. Silence and solitude is simply making space to experience the presence of God in your life. See, God wants us to choose this. For the Israelites, he brought them through a season in which it was just them. There was silence and solitude. God was going to speak to them and he was going to experience their presence. In fact, he said, I'm going to display my presence to you Israelites. I will be a cloud of fire by day or fire by night and cloud by day. Like, it's like, here's my presence. Like, they could experience it, and they rejected all of that. They rejected the new identity God had for them because ultimately they wanted God to get them out of their bad situation, but they did not want God to be their redeemer. 
They wanted God to deliver them. They wanted the goods that only God could provide, but they don't want God to be God in their life. And so what was supposed to be probably 40 days in the wilderness turned out to be 40 years in the wilderness because they were stubborn and said, we don't want to do what you want. And he said, that's fine. You don't have to take my identity. I'll pass on my identity to your children when they finally get here. And a whole generation was lost. I think for us, there's so many things for us to learn. And I don't know exactly where you're at in your journey of faith. I don't know exactly if you've stepped over the line of faith, if you've been a Christian for a long time maybe, and you've kind of just grown cold, and you're, 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 not, you're, not, you're not hot for Jesus. You don't have the hunger like you used to have. I don't know where you're at, but listen, God loves you. He knows where you're at, and he loves you too much to leave you there. And he's telling you, it's time to go. I've got more for you. I don't know if you've embraced my identity I have for you completely. It's time for us to go and embrace it all. So I want to leave you with three points on redemption here. Point number one is this, is that redemption has always been a part of God's plan. This isn't like, oh, I just thought it up yesterday. No, God's always had this as a part of the plan. Um, in, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat off this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That happens in Genesis chapter 3. Before the chapter's over, God's making a promise to them to redeem them. He's saying that through the offspring of Eve, redemption will come. Like we can't even get out of the chapter and God's already like, we got a plan of redemption. Number two, that redemption plan comes through Jesus. Okay? There's no redemption plan that God has for you outside of Jesus. The offspring that came through Eve generations later was Jesus, born of a virgin. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him, what? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. He's wanting to bring us into his family. He's wanting to give us his name. You're adopted into my family. You're now a part of me and my kingdom. We sang it this morning. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he's washed me white as snow. Redemption comes through Jesus and Jesus was the payment that was paid for you and I to have our ownership be brought back to God. Years ago, my mom um, was on the listen to the radio. I don't know what radio station she was listening to, but they said, call in if you want to get free tickets to the James Brown concert. So my mom called, and she won the tickets. Ooh. So she's like, Jim, it's my dad. I got some tickets for you and Alex. She's like, I ain't going to that concert. So, so we, we had these tickets, and the tickets cost us nothing. The tickets had value. But in order for us to go to the concert, we had to go and get the tickets. We had to drive to the radio station. We had to get the tickets, and then we had to show up at the concert venue and turn the tickets in. We had to redeem them. We had to make the tickets count for us for our admission in. And the same thing is true with Jesus. Jesus has already paid the price. The ticket is free, but you have to 
get the ticket, and you have to redeem it for you. If you don't redeem it, it doesn't mean anything. And that redemption, although my mom was part of the, part of the process, it didn't count for her. She couldn't get into the concert. Me and dad got in, and we saw the king of soul do what the king of soul could do about a year before he died. His energy level was going down, but he was still, he was still throwing that mic around. It was great. Redemption. Jesus has provided a new way of life, but you have to, you have to do your part to say, I want that. I'm going to get off of the throne, and Jesus, because you died on the cross, because you broke the power of sin and darkness, you've provided a way for me to get off the throne, which I couldn't do on my own. You've allowed that to cover me, and so God, I want to give you your place on the throne of my heart. And here's the final thing, number three on your notes, is that this idea of redemption, especially from God, it invites us into a new way of life. It invites us into a new way of living. Just as the Israelites lived one way in their daily routine and how they lived in Egypt, it was completely changed, and they were invited into a new way of living when they were outside of Egypt. The problem with the Israelites was that they got out of Egypt, but it was hard to get the Egypt out of them. And for you and I, we can get out of sin, but the challenge is to get the sin out of us. And that is the process of walking in a new life. When we get into the presence of God, that is when his power can begin to work in our lives. And it gets down to the deepest parts of who we are, and it roots out the sin and the insecurity that sometimes we aren't even aware are in us. And as God's presence does this in our lives, that's when we can be made holy. That's when we can begin to represent God and his goodness to the rest of the world so that we can truly become the people who love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, and that we can begin to love others the same way that Christ loves us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says this. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as like silver and gold, that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. What was handed down to me? An empty way of life. No, no, no. We were redeemed from that. And where was it came from? It came from our ancestors. Man. But the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, that's what we were redeemed by. See, all of us need to realize that before you step over the line of faith, really your life is a pretty empty way of living. I mean, really, what's it, what's it matter? What's it count? Oh, you went and had a good time Friday night. Great. Man, I felt, I felt alive Friday. Did you feel alive Saturday morning? I know. I better go do it again. Man, I really like this new drug. Yeah, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. I think I need to have some more. I need to try something different. And at the end of it, you're like, what, what did all of that matter? It's an empty way of life. And you can try to mask it. You can try to hide from it. You can try to do whatever you want to say it's okay. But it's empty. And the only way to have a fulfilling life where your life is filled with meaning and purpose is through a relationship with God because he's your creator. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And not only that, he's your redeemer. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what your story's been. It doesn't matter what you're involved in right now. God's bigger than what you're going through. You say, I mean, I'm, 
Pastor, I just don't even know. You don't know my story because I've been sitting here in church for years. But I got this thing and this desire inside of me, and I just don't, I can't seem to break it. I keep trying to fix this, and I can't break this habit. I can't break this routine. Listen, God is bigger than your desires. But you have to submit to him. You have to get off the throne. And when you get off the throne, that's when your life can change. And you can begin to live a new way of life. It's a new way to be human. It's actually the way he originally intended. So our final point, it's the first point. God is our redeemer, and he wants to rescue us from sin. So what about you? Where are you at? Have you asked God to redeem you from yourself? See, sin is when we just call the shots ourselves, and we're addicted to it reserving for us the right to have the final say. Are you willing to say, I don't want to have the final say anymore. I don't want to call the shots. I recognize that I want God as my creator to sit on the throne of my heart. If you've not made that step of faith, if you've not made that step, it's, it's a, a step of repentance. It's a new way of thinking. It's not about me, but it's about him. It's not about God helping me escape from bad things. It's about me being delivered from making bad choices and living a life that's always going to end up in the same place and need rescuing. No, no. God wants to give us a new identity. So with your heads bowed, as we pray together, if you're here and you say, you know what, I've really never stepped over that line of faith. To be honest, Pastor Alex, maybe I prayed a prayer once when I was younger, but I've been calling the shots. I've been calling all the shots. And yeah, every now and then maybe I pray and ask God to come and fix my bad choices, but, but I've not embraced the identity that God has for me, but I want to. If that's you and you say, yeah, that's my desire. My desire is to embrace the identity that God has for me, and I haven't done that. Would you just raise your hand as a sign of God saying, that's what I want. I want that identity. I want who you want me to be, God. And now for the rest of us, maybe you're here and you're just like, no, I have. I've, I've I've been, I've been here in church, and I've been saying yes to God every step of the way, but as you're speaking, Pastor Alex, I realize that there's more to this. Like, I'm not allowing the presence of God to invade my heart. I'm busy. I've got so many things going on. I'm not tuned into him like I want to be, but I want that to change. Hey, if that's you, and you say, I want to I change, and I want to have a new hunger, a new desire for God, would you raise your hand just saying, God, I want to want you more than I do right now. Awesome. Let me pray for both groups of people. Lord, for those who've been here and they're hearing this and they want this new identity that only you have, God, I pray that today they would just simply pray this simple prayer. God, I give you my life. I give you my life. It's not my own. God, I want you to claim ownership of my life. And God, I pray that you would meet them there and may they recognize that there is a redemption that can take place, that your shed blood on the cross is able to forgive them of their sin, to forgive them of their treason against you, and that, Lord, you're able to give them a new identity as a son or a daughter of your kingdom. And, Lord, for the many who raise their hands, saying that... They want your presence, God, more in their life. 
pray, God, that you would meet with them right now. If that's you, I just want you in your own words to say, God, I want to want you more. God, I want my desire to be for you. Align my heart with your heart. God, I thank you that you're so patient with us. You're kind to us. Lord, you watch us as we walk around excited about things that are temporary. And God, you're generous to us. You meet us where we're at. You even help us escape from some things. But God, I know ultimately you're wanting our heart and to make us a new kind of people. Lord, may we allow your spirit to change us from the inside out. And may we become the people that would be honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.